what I left off with today. I'll finish in a week or two what I want to do, my life goals, all the things I want to do. And the reality is it, we got to remember that God is in charge. God knows the number of our days from the very beginning. I appreciate the prayer, Kathy, and, and pray harder. It's okay too. But I also trust God. And uh, that song reminded me of that, uh, to trust and obey. Uh, because to trust God is to not live in fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and what? Sound mind. Sound mind. Well, it's interesting because when you replace love and power, you don't have a sound mind. And when you live in fear, it makes the mind weak. It says um, in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And double-mindedness is trying to balance uh, two composing or appeasing, opposing thoughts and trying to hold on both of them as truth. There is one truth in our world, and it is God's truth. There's one truth in our world. doesn't matter how they package it. doesn't matter how they sell it. doesn't matter what they do. Um, last week, uh, I, I was going to take it all apart this week, and I got thinking about it. I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Go back to a couple weeks ago when we were in Colossians. But, but I had one thought I was curious about. If anybody had thought about the ten toes. And the composition of the ten toes and the ten horns that we talked about last week. Did that, did that cross your mind at all during the week? Did you have any you know, pondering on that, meditation on that? Did you have any uh, thinking about the nature of those toes that Daniel saw in the dream? and the current state of our perhaps world and those nations that uh, I told you about that got together with Israel. Did anybody have any thoughts on this toes? See, we're not going to be in the time of the head. What was the head made out of? Gold. That already happened. We're not going to be in the time of the silver. That already happened. Not in the time of the bronze. That already happened. We're not in the time of the iron the solid iron of the thighs and the legs. That already happened. The toes that were composed of iron and clay, we are in that time. We are looking at that time. Now that hasn't been crushed yet, so we know where we are in relation to Daniel's vision and the rock that was cut out of the mountain uh, without human hands. That rock is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118. He's the rock which the builder has rejected. That's Christ. And he crushes the kingdoms of the world and he is their ruler and he sits and he will rule for eternity. That's Christ that's in prophecy. So we know we're in the time of the toes. We're, we're beyond the Roman Empire, but we still have the vestige of the Roman or the, the traces of the Roman Empire. But there's something about that clay that's interesting. When you use clay, what do you do with it? You mold it, you cast it, you throw it, you form it, you stamp it, you do whatever. And then what, is, what has to happen for it to stay in any sort of form? You have to fire it. You have to fire it. You have to run it through a furnace. Now, by nature of iron and clay together, if you run them through the furnace... You might have clay that will encapsulate the iron, but do the two become a homogenous 
solid material. No, in fact, it destroys the strength of the iron to be intermixed with the clay itself. They're distinct and they have their distinct properties. But in our world today, that, that kingdom of the ten toes, that those kingdoms, those uh, alignments, those associations of nations that come together, whether they're in their final uh, fulfillment state of prophecy or we're seeing them assembled, we're seeing them fired into their final forms, um, there is a character to them. Is there anything solid anymore? In terms of nations and countries, is there any foundation upon which you can just, you can rest and you know that you, you got your rights? Is that solid anymore? In America, did that not used to be something we stood upon? Was our constitution and the amendments to our constitution, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of religion, the freedom of free press. Did, did, did we not stand upon those things and you could kind of count on them? It was like, yeah, the world can go so far, but in America, we have this right. Now, now that looked pretty solid, didn't it? For 200 some odd years, didn't that look pretty solid? But now, does it look that solid? Changes daily. Changes daily. And we see this... Um, mixture in, in the United Nations of iron and clay. We see this diversity of thought. We see these uh, competing ideas, contrasting ideas that are supposedly melded together. Uh, in the, all the groups of the nations that form up wherever they are, we see these uh, alignments and uh, allies working together in what appears to be some solid form, but not so much. Much happened this week. Um, Ukraine was hit with a huge cyber attack. Uh, they believe it came out of Russia. Putin is posed on the Ukrainian border. Uh, I told you before, in terms of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the nations coming out of the area, what the Bible called Gog and Magog area, is that northern nation area of Russia have to make their way through Turkey. Well, the alignment of Turkey the alignment of Russia, the alignment of Russia and Iran is coming to form. It is coming into place. The one little obstacle that's sitting there still is Ukraine. For them to have an open road to drive down through to bring their armies through, that uh, open road that they need to get to Israel is through Ukraine. They need that area. And we can see that pressure mounting in that area. Um, these things, the Bible lays this out for us where this is going. But I find a danger is we can become so infatuated with trying to figure out the pinky toe and the big toe. And, and uh, do they have toenails? And uh, folks can, can just focus. And the danger comes is when that becomes such a focus that we forget the other part of that song, what's the other part of that song we just sang? There's two parts to it. First part is trust, obey. obey. Did God give us as believers the command to sit in our houses and figure out the exact detail of the toes? No. 
I think he gave us an overview of where things were going. But far more than that, within God's word, there is a, a description for us to be rooted in Christ, built up in him, established in the faith. Does that ring a bell? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Colossians. You remember that? No? Okay. Go to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't remember, we'll check it out. 2, 1 to 6. Let me read it to you again. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you, have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So that's what I had talked about a couple of weeks ago. We focused on that part of the passage. We'll go a little bit further in just a second. There were three components of that, rooted, built up, and established, but it's all wrapped around this idea or command is to walk in Christ. As you have received him, so walk in Christ. And that's an important part. Uh, he says, as you've been taught. Well, that's the nutrients we need to grow, to abound, is we need God's word. We need the Holy Spirit present in our life to abound in it. But he says to walk. And it is absolutely not a static relationship, but it's an active component of life. Uh, back in, and I'm going to take you on a little tour of scripture here real quick. We're going to hit a whole bunch of them. Colossians 1.10. See if you can stick with me. He says uh, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now I'm going to stop right there. It goes on from there. But I wanted you to focus on that part. To walk, there was nothing in it that said sit down and just become infatuated with one component of the Bible. Is actually, we have something to do. The knowledge of God increases by our exercise in the knowledge of God, not just staring at a book. A lot of people read the Bible. They walk and turn around. They go, well, I, I don't really get it. Uh, you know, there's all these people dying and there's all these evil people in the beginning and then there's all these bad kings and what does that have to do with anything to lose concept of what God's doing in the whole? Because without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to come together. But in the whole, God is going to show us His plan. God's going to reveal to us His Son. God's going to show us His salvation for us. Flip over to uh, Colossians uh, 4, 5. Walk in wisdom 
towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now I'm going to shoot over to Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. This is a good exercise to get your fingers limbered up in your Bible. Anyway. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, there's that word again, in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. Go over to uh, chapter 8 of Romans. Flip over a couple pages, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What do they do according to the Spirit? Walk. Yeah, you've got to keep the English in context. Walk. There's that word again. Verse 4. Flip down to uh, verse 4 there. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but and I'm going to insert it, walk according to the Spirit, because it's in there in context. Uh, let's go over to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, but not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. 717. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, jump down a little bit further. If we live in the Spirit, so let us walk, also walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Verse 8, For you were once in darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the day, the time, because the days are evil. Let me read that again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. What mind is that? The mind that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It comes from that. Verse 17 and 18. Brethren, join in my following my example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of who I told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 12. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. I like that. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. First John, we'll jump all the way towards the back, just ahead of Revelation. First John chapter one, verses six and seven. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 2, verse 6. Oh, flip the page. Don't need to. There it is. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 2 John 1 6. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, you, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What was the challenge that the Colossian or the Laodicean church had in Revelation chapter 3? Does anybody remember? They were not hot, but, but lukewarm. They were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. Yeah. 
They were not away from Christ. They tried to have a <clears throat> one foot in, one foot out relationship with Christ. And that makes for poor walking. That makes for a poor uh, stature, poor ability uh, to balance. And you're either walking in Christ or you're walking in the world. And to straddle both is double-mindedness, is to try to walk in the world and walk in Christ are different. Now, why did I show you all those different verses? Why did I take you through uh, a majority of the letters to the New Testament churches? To me, it helped explain the walk in his, in his word, in his commandments, and his wisdom. And, and many more adjectives to add to that. It's, 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 that's what it is to me, because it's good that I hear that, but I have to continue to walk it, not just sit on my duck. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we have to watch where we walk. Yes. To walk in the world is dangerous. To walk in Christ is what we're commanded to do. Not sit, not lay down, not take a nap, not be apathetic, not be complacent, but actually to be moving. It's action. It's always a moving. It's, it's in a race. Uh, we read those before. The reason I brought this up is in context. For us, there is uh, sometimes a, a temptation um, I, I have grown up in church all my life and I have heard sermons and uh, Sunday school lessons and special uh, <clears throat> sets where they'd have someone come in and speak for a couple nights in a row, you know, and a lot of times those things focused on prophecy and there is great value in understanding God's word and God's prophecy. But if it becomes the only thing you see and it becomes what you look at, and you're trying to figure everything out, and you spend all your time trying to do that, uh, what suffers is your walk. You lose the exercise. Is God did not call us to figure out everything that he has written in his word and not told us. He's called us to read his word, put his word into application, and the Holy Spirit is to guide us through that. And, and what it is, you don't want to miss the forest for the trees. You don't want to get caught. Now, I, I love I love tearing apart and, and uh, when you go the stuff we read in Daniel, the pictures that Daniel gave us of the beast and how it correlates to the statue and how it relates into Revelation, how we see those nations, those things come together, the bold judgments, uh, all those things, the angels, the trumpets, all that together is exciting. And it's awesome, and it's good to understand, but it doesn't relieve us of what God has called us to do, and that's to grow in Him. That's to walk in Him. It's to maintain our movement in Him. If all you do is sit, you're not going to be able to walk. Go ahead. Well, my formidable years prior to being born again were just laced through that with, oh, I'm well enough now, I don't need to go to church. That kind of attitude. Yeah. There, there is so much to challenge us in all this. So I bring this up because there, there is a response as you study prophecy. Uh, I don't know if last week uh, stirred in you any, any of this sentiment, but it's like, oh boy, what are we going to do? What, what am I going to do? Do I need to dig a hole in the ground 
and, and get some uh, bomb shelter built? Do I need to, you know, go buy more food? And Lori and I had quite a bit of discussion about that. She says, I, I feel like we're woefully prepared. And I said, well, I'm not sure how you can be fully prepared for the end of the world. Because as I read what's going on, there's part of it I don't believe we're going to be here for. So if Jesus comes back today, you're going to say, now just a minute, Jesus, I can't go yet. <laughs> I'm still working on my bomb shelter. Because during the tribulation, when this part happens, i got to be down in my bomb shelter going on. It is God has called us to do something, and what I find is it builds the strength we need to keep going despite whatever comes. Despite whatever comes. Uh, in, in Luke, it tells us that when the waves are roaring and the seas... By the way, did anybody see the pictures of that Tongan volcano come out of the water? Oh my, if you see that from a satellite view, try to find the one that shows the curve of the earth so you get a dimension of the globe. There's some that are like right over it and it boils out and, you, and you're like, oh, well, it doesn't have any reference to it. But there was a shot from one of the satellites that had the curve of the earth in it, and all of a sudden in this ocean, this big chunk comes out of the ground and comes up. And I'll tell you what, that's sea and waves roaring, like Luke talks about. And uh, But you know what he says when that happens? What are we supposed to do? He says when you hear wars and rumors of wars and the, the, the earth shaking and the seas roaring, you know what you're supposed to do? Share the gospel. It says look up for your redemption draws nigh. Is keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. And that's part of it. That's part of what we're commanded to do. That's walking circumspectly. That's walking with love. That's walking is, is we're called to go tell. And, and frankly, I'm not sure you could be 100% prepared for the end of the world. If you read all the prophecies, you say, oh man, when God comes down and Magog and they join up and go on, well, we better hide because they're going to be shooting bombs and nuclear war. And, and then when the beast comes out and he can make fire fall from the sky, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Is that some kind of a satellite that Putin's got that can shoot down a missile that can take out places from the earth? That they, they have that technology. They've taken uh, nuclear missiles up into space. And by the time they come through the atmosphere, they're hypersonic, can't stop them. You can't shoot them down. You can't do anything because they're moving at such a high velocity uh, that basically if they shoot them, uh, it's just going to hit whatever they aimed at. So that always exists already. Now, is that under the control of someone that's part of the beast and part of the Antichrist? I don't know. But man, if you hear that, you're kind of like, oh boy, what do we do? Well, you can dig a hole in the ground, but you're not going to dig a bomb shelter deep enough that's going to keep you if he decides to throw one of them things down on the ground. He's just not going to do that. Revelation, it says, when they run to the hills and they try to hide and they say the mountains fall on us, is it's posed as futile effort. It's like you can't hide from a lot of things that are coming. But what can I do to be prepared? I think Paul, in the letter to Laodicea, that in Revelation we see as the lukewarm church that precedes Christ's return, the church at the time of Christ's return in terms of chronology is the problem the church has is visible today. Lukewarmness. It's this mealy, wishy-washy kind of Christianity that 
doesn't focus on Christ. It's about feel good. It's, it's about, you know, things that make us feel good. Is that somehow we're exercising ourselves in Christ? Go I ahead, think, Ed. I think in my recovery from alcoholism, it was very important to remind myself there's no half measures. Mm-hmm. People do this vacillate. They yeah. go to church, they go to Bible study, and then, well, let me go another way. There is no other way. Yeah. But Christ. And uh, that's 100% of the time. That's hard. That's your goal. That's the eye on the ball. I am Christ. Yep. Keep it. So in context for today, what I gave you last week, what I want to do is balance that with remembering what we need to be doing. I need to be rooted in Christ. I need to be anchored in Christ. There's no, no salvation in any other. There are not multiple roads to heaven. There's not multiple gods. There's not multiple you know, world schemes going on at the same time is I need to be rooted in Christ. I need to be anchored in him and I need to be built up in him because if I'm this tiny little seedling that has never grown and never grown uh, to any strength of standing, then when the first wind comes, it's just going to blow me down. It's just going to knock me over. I need to also be established to the point that I can stand against whatever comes. And I need, probably one of the greatest little thoughts in here that sometimes we miss, as we do with Philippians 4, 6, and 7, is this idea of thanksgiving. If reading God's Word brings you to a point where you're worrying and you're fearing, then you're missing the point. Because the point of God's Word, His story is about His redemption of us not about us fixing everything. If we are going to fix everything, don't read the Bible. It will drive you crazy because you're not going to fix it. God fixes it. It's he who wins in the end. It's he who fixes all this up. So I want to be established, built up, and rooted in him. So when the wind comes, when the storm comes, when the fire comes, I'm anchored. I can stand. I can make it through those times because I got my eyes on Christ. I'm trusting in him. And until the moment he calls me home, I'm okay. I'm okay. Whatever happens, I'm okay because I'm in Christ. I got my eyes on Christ. Let me read through the rest of the chapter. I got you down to seven. I want to read through 23 now. I'll try to put this all together in a short period of time. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, 
which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligament, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let's take this apart a little bit. Chapter 8, detriments to growth for me. I mean, verse 8, detriments to growth that he lists right here, the first two things. Philosophy and empty deceit or vain deceit. Philosophy, what is philosophy? Yep. But they're not rooted in the Lord's word. But essentially, what is philosophy? It's trying to, to me, preach a way of life, a, a conduct, how you should conduct yourself. And it's not, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> Anybody else? Any, any thoughts on that? I My know. observation, go ahead, Chris. Idea? Yeah, it's man's idea. Yeah. Okay, when, when I look at something and try to figure it out, if I was to explain that to someone else, if I had a clock, and uh, an old-fashioned clock that had like gears and little springs and all that stuff and wind-up keys, if I looked at it and tried to figure out how it all functioned and then related that to someone else and tried to tell them, that's my philosophy of what's going on inside there. Now, I can break it down to a pure mechanical principle if I understand every little component in there, every spur, every gear, every spring, every ratio of gears to each other to produce the exact movement of the hands for the seconds, to get the minutes correct to the seconds, to get the hour correct to the minutes to the seconds at the same time to keep it all in function and moving based on a certain spring tension. So now I can look at that and I can try to give somebody that idea. That's my idea. I'm not the inventor, I didn't make it, I didn't build it, but it's my idea of how it works. So philosophy is man looks around, man goes, well, you know, the earth, um, uh, you know, the earth must be flat. This is my philosophy, not mine. This, <laughs> this is how man thinks. There's a whole group of people right now. They've seen the pictures from outer space. They've seen the, 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 the spaceships gone around, the, the shuttles have gone around taking video of the whole of the earth, it's, it's a ball. And yet, oh, no, it's round, it's flat. 
You know, if you go too far, it's as bad as it was in the days of Columbus. This is what's going to happen. You're going to sail off the edge. You're going to drop into the abyss. You're going off into the end of the world. doesn't matter what they've seen, but they had a philosophy. They have a philosophy of a flat earth. Socrates sat around. He had his philosophy of life. All the great philosophers that have gone through history, um, Spock had his philosophy of life. You, you have all these ideas but basically, it's man looking around him and trying to make sense of what he sees within the context and the expanse of his own mind, his own abilities. Go ahead. Well, the thought that comes to mind is the devil's work. Um, it very often is influenced by the devil. Yes, absolutely. Um, Paul, when he went to Mars Hill, and that's a whole other sermon, uh, when he went to Mars Hill, they had an altar to every god that they could think of. Why? They were trying to cover all their bases. They looked around and said, uh-oh, you know, I've noticed the, the ocean. We better have an ocean god because it seems to do its own thing. And, whoa, the sun. We better have a sun god. We better have a moon god. We better have a wind god. We, you know, he said, hey, I got one here. And they, they had gone so far because in their philosophy, they were trying to understand uh, these higher powers that they seemed to think because they couldn't control them. Man can't control them. So they must be a higher power. So we better honor those higher powers. And they had written one that said to the unknown God. Paul said, you know what? I know him. <laughs> you don't know him. He's unknown to you. Let me explain who it is. Paul, go ahead. One of the things we're going to do in this end time is they're going to come up against a cross and preach that that's not a right teaching. Oh, it's happening already. And it's going to continue to happen. And uh, sadly, it's happening in a lot of churches. They're preaching a food gospel. They're preaching a works gospel. They're preaching a prosperity gospel. Uh, they want to stay away from the blood of Christ. They want to stay away from the cross. Because why? Because in Satan's game, that was when he was made a public spectacle. Was when Christ died and was resurrected. That's what we just read right here in Colossians. When Christ went to the cross, it wasn't the terminus of God. It wasn't the end of God. It was actually the the belittling of Satan's effort. If Satan had known what would be happening on that cross, he never would have let Christ near it. If Satan had had a concept of God's plan, he never would have let Christ die. He would have done everything in his power to have Christ live and have a fruitful ministry on earth with a big church building somewhere in the middle of Israel and everybody be happy and love him. He would have been happy to have that happen. But when Christ died on the cross, when the sky was rent and the, the veil was rent in the temple, Satan said, oh no. He realized that he had lost. A public spectacle was made of principalities and powers. Christ is the head over all principalities and powers. It's right here in this passage. We just read it. But let's go back a little bit. So there's two detriments to growth. is philosophy, man's ideas, uh, higher knowledge, we hear it every single day. It's the science. And what's sad is they've lied so many times that science has now become just a, a byword. It's become a joke. Because true science is questioned all the time. You question everything. You make a hypothesis, you question it, you test it, you test it, test it, you, you repeat it. So uh, people understand God's word and believe in creation. We have no problem with that. Test it. Keep testing it. When you stack up evolution side by side, one, we cannot recreate either. 
So they remain a hypothesis. We cannot prove either. For a believer, it's a matter of faith. But there also is great evidence in the world which points to creation. It does not point to evolution. In fact, it points away from evolution. They keep looking for the missing link. They keep looking for the protozoa that crawled out of the ocean that was a fish that crawled up on the sand that became a bird, that became a lizard, that became a man, that became an ape. They keep looking for those links. They have lied in science. And they said, oh, we found this jawbone. And guess what? It turned out to be a pig. But they based an entire section of the evolutionary scale of man, uh, the Croatian man and this man and that man. And, and they had all these links together. Well, it turned out that most of them were made out of one little chunk of something. And it, one of them turned out to be a pig's jaw. And they said, oh, this is it. And they built the whole man around that. He must have had a big forehead. How do you know from the jaw what the forehead looks like? I mean, a kid sitting in the sandbox knows more than those high philosophy people that take a bone, one bone, and suddenly they can tell you what the toe looks like. No, it's not like that. Philosophy, and I just call it man's ideas apart from God. When you set aside truth, when you set aside the truth of God, it's man's ideas, and that's a philosophy, and that's a philosophy that is dangerous to us as believers. Empty deceit. Empty or vain deceit. That's another detriment to growth, to establish standing in Christ, to being able to walk. Empty deceit. What is empty deceit? Empty deceit is flowery words that are lies, that is, are intended to sell you the idea. Do we have that happen in our world today? I'll take just one little component of our current uh, dialogue narrative that's going on in our world. Uh, mask. It, it is so amazing. Do you know what's printed on the side of a box of mask? The typical mask that everybody wears when they go in places. You know what's printed on the side? Somebody said it doesn't stop the transfer of a virus. That's what it says. Not for medical use. Not does not stop transmission of virus. Um, and everybody buys those things and puts them on, and then touches them and takes them off, puts them on, touches them. Back. And our very uh, illustrious leaders that have been the uh, focal head point and leading this thing said, "Oh no, you don't need those. No, those don't work. Now you need one. Now you need three. Now you don't need. Now you need two. Now you need one. And uh, if you go back, just go back. Don't be. I'm not being political. What I'm being is just go back and look at the facts." Oh, just and, about the distancing. I remember Fosse saying, oh, it's really not six feet, it's three feet. Yeah. Do we, do we address that? Well, it, what's oh, it's changed all along. The dialogue has changed because it's gone from truth. So when I see man's waffling, what it does is it drives me back to God's word and it tells me in God's word, this is truth. Is this the reality of it? It is fallacy to believe that you can somehow shelter and or protect and prep yourself to live forever. You are not going to live forever in the human body you're sitting in right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. But Jesus said, and the Bible says that we will have a new body. We're going to have something new. And we're going to have eternal life in that, in the presence of God, be able to 
be in the very presence of God. But man, we, we see this idea all the time. Man buys it over and over. If you take this vitamin, this supplement, if you uh, uh, go to this class, if you do this exercise, if you don't eat this, if you do eat that, and you're going to live forever. This will, You're going to live to be uh, 2,000 years old. Well, the problem is when we look back, has anybody made it to 2,000 years old? No, doesn't happen. So we'll go back to the truth of God's word. God says, hey, about 120 years is going to be the max for mankind. It says in Psalm 70, 80 years, if we have that. It says the Lord knows the number of our days before we are ever born, before we are ever conceived. It's in God's hands whether we live or die. It's in God's hands. You will not die a minute early. You will not die a minute late. You will die at the exact minute that God knew you were going to pass away from this earth or he's going to come back and we'll get to go with him. Those are the only two options. This higher knowledge, and we see this sold in religion all the time. Higher knowledge. I got this special little uh, thing from God. I got this special little idea from God, and then it's sold. We have the uh, new philosophy of man that there's multiple genders. Isn't it funny? That's a, that's a perversion of God's creation. God's, we can take your body and take a little sample, and there's an X chromosome, and there's a Y chromosome. There is not an S, T, a U, G, Y, B, D, Z, B, H, Y, D, Z, B. All the initials that put together. Now, there's the 20-some-odd varieties that they have on the list that California wants to know when you come into jail, which one of the genders you might be. There's an X chromosome, and there's a Y chromosome in your makeup. And they package it and sell it, and it's man's idea. How do we tell? With all that goes on, the philosophies, the vain uh, deceit, the vain deceit. And deceit will show itself eventually because it never stands the test of time. That's why I say you look back and that one little issue mask. I just think that's hilarious uh, to watch is because uh, people really believe that's their salvation. That's going to do it for them. We had a lady, the wind is blowing. She steps outside and she's like, oh, oh should I get a mask? I've had my shots and I've had this and I've had that and I've done this and that. The wind's blowing so fast, the virus couldn't get to me. I'm upwind. It's going to blow that way. I mean, there's some physical things that go on in our world. The virus does not have wings. It cannot fly against the wind. It was like a 20 mile an hour wind. I said, you're okay. Just go ahead and tell me what you need to tell me. So how do I tell? Well, here's how I tell. Compare it to Christ. Christ is the creator. Christ is the lawgiver. Christ is the law fulfiller. Christ was the perfect offering for sin and death's deficit. Christ, even in his names, we see that. The everlasting father, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. Uh, Hebrews, let me just go real quick. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. I compare it to Christ. And I, why do I go to Christ? Because he is the origin of it all. He is the maker of it all. He's the, he's the guy that knows the intricacies of this world and how it works. He's the guy that holds it together in the palm of his hand, it says in Psalms. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by, to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Colossians, the book we're in right now. Uh, chapter 1, flip back over there to, real quick if you want to. And verses uh, 12 to 18 talks about Christ. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, if you read that and pay attention to that, what you understand really quickly is that in all things is repeated over and over again. Christ is sufficient in all things. The knowledge of Christ, his power, his intimacy with everything that is, is absolute. So if I need to understand what's going on in the world, I need to go to Christ if I'm looking for the truth. He is my sounding board for everything that goes on around me. When I see something I don't understand in the world, I go back and I look in God's word for the truth that comes from God about situations. I love Proverbs for that. Proverbs lays out so many things that are realities about living life every single day, practical things about living life, how we should answer, how we should deal. You know what that's based on? Is the reality of what man is and how man acts and what man does and how man lies. Lies, as in tells lies. Is you want to know truth, God's word helps you understand when someone's telling you a lie. It helps you understand that. It's amazing. You know, what's, what's really amazing when I'm talking to somebody and I'm interviewing somebody that's done something and um, they're trying to disguise it. What is amazing is that within our bodies, there are uh, hundreds of telltale clues, body position, uh, micro expressions. There's, there's all kinds of things that people do when they start lying. And um, it becomes really obvious. I'm not saying I'm an expert at it at all. But I've talked to people and I've asked them a question I already know the answer to. And those are the best. Because when you know the answer to it already, you, you have it on video. In one case, I had this on video. So I asked the guy, I said, well, and, and then you did this? Oh, no. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> 
he starts looking all over the place and he starts fidgeting his chair and uh, he's trying to find an answer and it's like he's looking for it in the sky somewhere. He's looking for an answer that will work to tell the truth. And, but he can't tell the truth because he's trying to tell a lie. And his body is fighting that because God did not intend us to lie. He intended us to tell the truth, to be truthful. And uh, it's, it's funny. And I, so I said, well, here's a picture of you doing that. He's like, oh, oh, because he was caught. It was on video. He, he couldn't, you know, he, he was just posing a lie. Nothing he could do about it. Christ in him, all, it says he's above all principality and power. Uh, in him, uh, in him is where we function. In him is where we remain. There's a picture within scripture for us uh, of being a vessel, for us to be a vessel, to accept, to have, to hold Christ, to keep Christ. We aren't, you know, like he is the living water. I, I was telling you that a couple weeks ago. He's the living bread. Remember that? He's the nutrients uh, that we need in life. He's everything we need. So that living water, what's interesting about that is all we can be is a vessel for the living water. We can be a vessel to carry that living water somewhere else. We can't create the water. We can't put our own substitute in. It's either Christ or it's no one. It, there's, there's no in between. And we have to be a vessel that can hold Christ. We have to be willing to receive Christ. We can be a vessel that holds Christ. It won't do you much good if you're a sieve, right? Then living water is just going to run out. And then you're not going to have that for someone else that you're trying to share the gospel with. It is Christ needs to be present in us all the time. So we need to be a storehouse of Christ, the living water. We don't make the water. Uh, we can't replace it. We can't change it. All we can do is accept it, hold it, and keep Christ present in our life. It's interesting, the, the words that we just read there uh, back in Colossians is we were circumcised with him, cleared of sin's cancer. I like to look at it that way. We were baptized in him. We were made alive in him. We were forgiven in him. Uh, our sins were wiped out. Uh, what's a beautiful picture that's laid out for us. It says, having wiped out, what verse is that? 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. What is the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us? Need Jeopardy music. No? Handwriting of requirements. The law. It was the law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt... The law was a requirement. Did it save you? What it is, it revealed your sin. It revealed your need for Christ and what he did on the cross. So when he went to the cross, when he who knew no sin became sin for us, 
When he was nailed on the cross, he was our substitutionary payment for our sin. All the laws that we had broken, all the requirements we had not fulfilled, he took that to the cross and he paid the debt. He paid the debit that we were out, that we couldn't pay. He made the difference for us. That's super important to understand. There's people who choose to live under the law as if they could still fulfill the law. The law was not bad. The law did what was God's purpose. The law is a great um, direction for us, but the law is not absolute. Christ is absolute. He gave the law. He fulfilled the law. He became the payment for the requirement of the law that we could, not, which was against us which was contrary to us. And it says he has taken it out of the way. He had it nailed to the cross with him. Who was nailed to the cross? Jesus, Jesus was the lawgiver, the law keeper, the law fulfiller. He was nailed to the cross. He, the law was nailed to the cross. He represented everything that the law had. He kept it perfect. He fulfilled it perfectly. He took it out of the way because when you focus on the law, you're focusing on the shadow. We'll get to that in a second. Having disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed them. He made them a public spectacle. And uh, Satan knew at that moment that he had lost. His time was short. And then we're told that later in scripture. He knows his time is short. That's why he's like a roaring lion running around seeking whom he can devour. Go ahead. Is this where you could tie together the bruising of the, the heel? Oh, absolutely. Is the cross was absolutely his death was uh, he crushed Satan's head, but he was bruised. Yes, he was bruised in there, and that's the bruising of the heel. But and as you would have elsewhere in Isaiah uh, fifty-three, you have the whole picture of the lamb that was slain without uh, opening his mouth. He went to the slaughter. Everything that picture of that sacrificial lamb that was Christ. But here, Paul puts it in really stark terms. He brings it to a personal thing, is we know where we failed because the law showed that to us. If you want to think you're perfect, just, just go back and start with the first 10 commandments. Just start there and see what happens to you. See how you do. And chances are you're not going to make it past like two. There's going to be some other God you put before God. Now, I'm not talking about a little statue you put up in your house. I'm going to talk about something in your life that you've made more important than God. And you put God one day a week. And you put six days a week focusing on this other God. And, and praise God for the grace of God that Christ went to the cross and moved that out of our way. Because otherwise you would stumble over it. Otherwise you would trip over it. Um, he made a spectacle uh, triumphing over it. And uh, then I like this practical part that comes next. Um, th this is areas that are usually attacks on believers uh, and a lot of times by other religious people. Um, <laughs> I laughed this morning. We came to church and the Seventh-day Adventists had stuck a bunch of tracks into the door of the church. Um, don't know what their thoughts were there, but uh, I can tell you where several of them focused uh, was on health and food and what you eat and what you don't eat and how God intended this and that based on the law. And uh, they go right here to verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. 
and 17 explains it for us, which are a shadow of things to come. Think of the thing that you have wanted more in your life than anything else, a tangible thing that you hoped that you would get. Maybe as a kid, you wanted a present, you wanted the uh, red racer bicycle or the skateboard, or you wanted something super cool and a motorcycle or a shotgun or whatever it was. And you just had this idea uh, of what you wanted. You were hoping it would show up for Christmas or your birthday or something. And uh, what if your parents brought that object in, put the shadow on the wall, traced it out, and then took it back to the store and gave it back and said, there you go, you got your shotgun, you got your bicycle, you got your skates, you got your Barbie doll. There it is, there's the shadow of it right there. We saved it for you, took you a little picture of it. Would you be content with the shadow? No, your object, what you want is the substance. You want the whole of it. Christ is the whole. All these other things, are but shadows. Matter of fact, let me go to Isaiah real quickly. I don't know how this got so complicated. <laughs> Simple little message, they said. Isaiah uh, chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Do you think this is going to be a good message? <laughs> Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's interesting at the time Isaiah wrote this, they were already gone. So pay attention. Because he's talking about an attitude that probably exists still today. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Oh, it's a religious people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies... I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Sodom and Gomorrah are gone. Who's God talking to through Isaiah? He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who have taken the focus away from God and they put it on the new moon or the Sabbath or the festival or the sacrifice or the practice of religion rather than the relationship of Christ. In the next part, he tells them, he says, uh, you need to wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away your evil. Cease to do good, learn to do good. I mean, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then he says, come now and let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They were red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Interesting, interesting passage. Uh, I believe connects exactly with where we are because so many people will take one of these things, food or drink. Oh man, you can't, you can't do this or you can do that. You only can eat beans and bean sprouts or you can't eat this or that. Um, they focus on the shadows. They focus on the street signs and they miss the destination. Christ is the substance. He's the arrival. He's the home port. He's where you're trying to be, not these things. And so many people will live out their life under these things. They, are, they had a place. Each of the things that God gave throughout the Mosaic law, all the sacrifices, they had a place. The Passover, it has a place. All those festivals have a place. They all are street signs pointing us to Christ. But if you miss Christ because you're sitting there uh, polishing the street sign all the time, trying to live in that shadow, you missed the substance. Christ is the substance. That's what Paul just said here. We need to pay close attention. He says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. There's other cheap uh, knockoffs and fakes. Uh, verse 18, false humility, worship of angels. He says, uh, usually comes from people intruding into things they've never seen. Um, they pull away from the head, from the body, from Christ, from his direction. They usually come in the form of special revelation. Uh, Lori and I were talking about it in terms of being prepared. And, and uh, we were talking about how in 1843, uh, the very same people who left us all the tracks, uh, the origin of their cult, and I will call them that, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, was that they figured out prophecy. Their pastor had studied prophecy, and he figured out the number of steps between the altar and the, the Holy of Holies was a certain number of steps, was related to a certain number of days. Jesus was coming on that day in 1843, and he told everybody, sell everything you have, and we'll meet in this cornfield, and we'll sing songs, and we'll pray, and Jesus is going to come again, and this is the day. I figured it out. He had an exact day. I believe it was in April. And they all did. The church folks all got excited, went out there, sold everything they had, and they got prepared because of what they had focused on and they understood. And so the end of the day came and guess what? Jesus hadn't come back. Pastor was pretty depressed and he went back and did some recalculation. That's when you know you're in trouble. He says, you know, I was off by a year because I started with zero instead of one and you got to take the first number, you know, it's binary, whatever. He had some kind of flaw. So show back up again in 1844. Well, not as many people showed up at that point you know, they'd sold everything and here they were. So they had to start over and uh, they started back in 1844. They kind of just petered along because 1844 didn't work out as well either. Special revelation, special revelation. Uh, the Mormon church, same thing. Uh, Joseph Smith had a special revelation. And he alone is the guy that can translate the golden plates that the angel Moroni gave him. Special revelation, hidden knowledge and intruding into things they didn't see. And it's funny how they merge into that angels 
and the angel brings him a message and an angel that's never in God's word, but suddenly the Book of Mormon is the way to determine what God's word really means. It's deception. These are fake, cheaps, cheap, cheap imitations. Let me say it that way. <laughs> Knockoffs. They're fakes. And then let's finish this up. Uh, verse, I could spend a long time in here. Verse 20. And you know this is a wrap-up because he says, therefore. And after all that stuff that we just read, what's this? This is where we need to pay attention. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, the basic, I can see it, I can figure out what it means, this must be my truth. Those are the basic principles of the world. That's what Adam and Eve bought in the garden. Satan sold them an idea based on what they could see, touch, and wanted in their life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's what Satan used to sell, and it was all by visual cues. He sold them. He says, God just doesn't want you to be like him. But man, look at that fruit. Doesn't it look good? It would be good for you, and it would make you wise. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's all right there. So those are the basic principles of our world. That's how our world moves. He says, if you died with Christ from those basic principles of the world... Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? What kind of regulations? Do not touch. Yeah. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Yeah. Yeah. All concerned things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Jesus spent a tremendous amount of time in his time on earth. Uh, dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes who attempted to trap him into the law, into different parts of the law. And uh, it had to do almost exclusively with do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. You're breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. Guess what? He's the guy that gave the Sabbath. He's the guy that made the Sabbath. He's the guy that gave a day and told Israel, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. Don't cook, don't have a fire, because I've already fed you for this day. Stay home. That's Exodus chapter 16, the first Sabbath. That's what he told them to do. Somehow that morphed into if your ox fell in the ditch, you can't get him out. You know, all the rules, you can't do this, can't do that. And to the point that they're telling Jesus, the originator of the Sabbath, uh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And he brought him back. He says, What's better? To do good or to do this? He put it right back on them because they worship. And I'll tell you what, that's the dilemma is you will find with the hardcore seven-day Adventists, they worship the day. They don't worship Jesus. Jesus is in there. The words are in there, but it's it, they worship the day. That's the deal. The Mormon folks, they worship what you will attain, your celestial place in the kingdom. That because they're latter-day saints, it's already all happened in their mind. So you're just establishing yourself into a terrestrial or celestial uh, kingdom. You are going to be God yourself, and you're going to attain this position based on you doing all the works. 
based on you doing all the special temple ceremonies, you uh, saying the right things, shaking the right handshakes, wearing the right underclothes, all that stuff that you got to do. What are those things? Those are all cheap imitations. They're all, they're all garbage. But they're all fashioned after those things in the law where it said you got to wear linen undergarment. Oh, well, we got to have a special undergarment. We got to the priestly robes. We got to have the special stuff. And they have all this trappings of religion within it, and it's all just cheap knockoffs. He says, if you died from those basic principles of the world, from all those little regulations, he says, you need to avoid the appearance of wisdom, human wisdom, self-imposed religion, that false humility, that neglect of the body, because all of them have zero value against the indulgence of the flesh. They have no value whatsoever. You can worship all the angels you want. You could create your own little religion and you could smack yourself upside the head with a stick every day thinking you could drive out the bad. And it's not going to do any value in removing a heart issue. Because when Christ saved you, he circumcises out the cancer that's inside, the sin, the disease of sin. And he gives us the opportunity to live life in him, in the substance, not in the shadow. So what does this do for us when we see the world around us going crazy? What does it do? What, why can this help us? Is there any value to it? Is it just some biblical passage here or something we read? For me, this is what it does. It reminds me to keep my walk on Christ. It reminds me to walk in Christ wherever I am, whatever I do, with whoever I'm with. Is to keep my eyes on Jesus. Because if I look to the world, you know, the Supreme Court made a decision here. They said... Uh, yeah, throw this away, but we're keeping this in this part. And a lot of people are, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. What happens out there? Let me tell you, I've read the end of the book. It's good for us. It's not good for them. Whatever happens, if Russia comes down and bombs start going off, you know what? It's still good. For, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because ultimately, that's where my citizenship is not in this world. And I divide things really cleanly as best I can. I render unto Caesar's what's Caesar's, and, but I give unto God what's God's. And when Caesar starts trampling into God's area, nope, ain't happening. Not going that road. And if there's a consequence, that's okay. I'll take the consequence because I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to walk in Christ. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to finish this race and I'm going to finish it well. By his grace, by his mercy. Not my own strength, but by Christ in me. I'm not going to let fear make my decisions. I'm going to let God's word, his Holy Spirit, his direction make my decisions. For me, for my family, I'm going to lead. I see so many beset these days with fear. And they're absolutely just torn up and anxiety and everything else. And, and what's funny is I just keep going back to these simple things in Scripture. And, and what I see missing in most cases where someone has anxiety and fear that's just ruining them and devastating them is they have no thanksgiving. 
because you don't think of that when you're in turmoil and you're in fear. You don't think to be thankful. And, and what I found is by living Christ, folks, even I take people to jail for things that they could spend a couple years, 10 years and stuff for. And, and what's amazing is I have a lot of them by the time we're done is they'll say thank you to me for taking them to jail. And because they realize it wasn't me, it's not my fault. They made a choice and they have a consequence. But I just, I just try to show them Christ. I can still hold the law. I can still hold the line. I can still take them down there and drop them off. But it doesn't mean I hate them. It doesn't mean I have to curse at them. It doesn't mean I have to spit on them or call them garbage. And, and what's funny is they see something different. And they, a lot of them will talk to that. A lot of them will say something about that. And they'll say thank you. And the CEOs are looking at me. The correctional officers are looking at me like, what in the world do you do? Why? They asked me to do things inside the jail. They wanted me to serve a restraining order to a guy that uh, it took uh, two CHP officers and five deputies to wrap this dude up and they had to put him in wrap. He was naked, uh, riding his Harley Davidson, spinning uh, donuts in the middle of the street, hiring a kite. He, he was just out of his mind high. And he was probably like 55 years old or so. And, uh, you know, pretty big dude, maybe like 250, 260, tattoos and gnarly looking dude and rough. And uh, they, they wrapped him up. They got him in jail. They put him in a room. So he's in sobering. So he get cleared up. Well, they need to serve him with a restraining order. And the correctional uh, deputies came over and said, hey, Bats, um, since you're here, would you mind doing this for us? And I said, no, no problem. I'll go in. I said, where is he? No, he's in the sobering room. I said, okay, open the door. They said, well, he's kind of weird. You might want some help. And I said, well, I don't know. Let's see. So they popped the door. And I walked in. I walked up to the fellow. He was standing up. And I said, hey, uh, I need to give you some paperwork. And uh, he goes, he looks at me, kind of squints a little bit. He goes, I'm thinking whether I should shake your hand or punch you in the face. I just looked at him, I said, okay, did you make a decision? And uh, stuck out his hand. So I showed his hand. He was bleeding from a couple spots. I tried to avoid those, but uh, he got tore up a little bit. And then he came to jail and he fought them, so they dumped him on his head. So he had a cut on his head too. But uh, he shook my hand, he kind of looked at me strange. It was kind of interesting. And uh, so I gave him the paperwork and I walked out and the correctional deputy outside was like, uh, what just happened in there? <laughs> I said, well, he, he uh, offered to either uh, punch me in the face or shake my hand, and he, he decided to shake my hand. And they're like, whoa. They didn't understand that. But see, I just go in the confidence that God gave me. Is, and I think people react to that. Is because Satan can't stand up to Christ. It's not me. Satan ducks. The demons, when Jesus came around, you know what they did? They fled. They're like, please, put us in the pigs. You know, we'll run the pigs off the cliff. They, they, they're like, well, we know who you are. And they were afraid. 
And I found a lot of times where I think a lot of times drugs are a, a gateway that Satan is using that is affecting people or controlling people. And uh, sometimes uh, I believe that the presence of Christ has calmed those folks down supernaturally. And it's nothing I'm doing. I'm just a person. I just walked in there. But I trust Christ and I lean on him and I depend on him in doing that job every single day. And I believe he makes the difference in those situations. And uh, with, with that guy, one of the other deputies uh, asked me about it because he had been the guy to arrest him. He said, oh, Bats, did you go in there and talk to that guy? And I said, yeah, yeah, I went in. Uh, and I told him what the guy had said about punching me in the face or uh, shaking my hand. And I said, he chose to shake my hand. He goes, you shook his hand? I said, yeah, yeah, it was okay. He goes, man, I would have never shook his hand. I said, listen, you got to think two ways here. One, if I got his hand, he can't hit me with it. <laughs> two, I know when he's going to do something because I can feel through his hand if he starts to tense up and do something else. And I said, second of all, we got all these bottles of sanitizing alcohol around, so that's no big deal. I just scrubbed my hand when I was done. It wasn't a big deal. It worked out pretty good. Anyway, I hope you gathered something out of this. I'm tired, and I don't know if you got anything out of what this chapter is trying to do, what I'm trying to show you, is don't get so caught up in all the things going around you that you're, you, you get so focused on prophecy that you miss what prophecy is about. Who's prophecy about? What's it about? It's about redemption. It's about Christ fulfilling everything that the Bible said would happen, when it was supposed to happen, how it's going supposed to happen. It's Christ. It's about him. It's a shadow. Okay? Study, look, read God's word. The God's Holy Spirit will give you insight into it. But don't become so infatuated that you forget to walk in Christ. That you forget to trust Christ. One of my favorite verses is up on the wall. Anybody know where that comes from? I wrote it up this morning. Trust the Lord with all in heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yeah, I didn't put 6 up there. I just put 5. But, because uh, I ran out of them. I made it too big. Anyway, that, that's the reality of our life, of what we need to be in Christ, is trust in the Lord with all our heart. If you par off part of your heart and you trust in the world, if you trust in the science of the world, if you trust in the governments of the world, if you trust in the societies of the world, you'll be sadly disappointed. If you trust in Christ, you have a future that is secure forever. He is above all principalities and powers. There's no power that can come against Christ. There's nothing that can usurp his authority and power. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess him. So that's where I'm banking. That's what I'm trusting in. I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you have accomplished. You are the all in all. You are the only way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by you. Your word gives us all we need in our life for living, for life, for truth, for death, for eternity. Your word has what we need to understand. May you, by your Holy Spirit, Take what I've muddled through this morning and uh, bring it to each of us in what it needs to be and how we need to hear it. And Lord, may you be praised in all things. Uh, thank you for always being available in our life. May we always desire and hang on to your presence. May we always be willing to receive uh, you and receive you in your word, receive you in your presence. 
receive you in your power. And uh, may that be the mainstay of our life. Thank you for loving us the way you have. Thank you for giving us what you have. And Lord, uh, as we see the events around us just going chaotic, we see these uh, prophecies coming together. We see future before us. And we don't know if tomorrow's the day or the day after that or what's going to happen. Lord, that can bring fear into our hearts. And I pray that we would keep our hearts uh, fully focused, fully assured and trusting in you. Trust and obey. Walk in you. Go tell. You've given us a lot to do, Lord. Help us to keep focused on the task and not get caught up on sideline issues, not get uh, trapped by fear, but just keep our confidence, find our confidence in you. You are great. You're an awesome God. I can't even imagine what eternity will be like in your presence, but I know I want to be there. I want to be in the light of your glory. I want to see your face. I want to see the scars. I want to see the the proof of the payment that you made for me. What a glorious day that's going to be. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. May you keep everyone blessed. Those who are not with us, again, touch Mark, Lord, and uh, Shannon with her broken foot, and anyone else who is ill, uh, Jared and Justin, Lord, uh, that have the virus that's going around, would you lift them up? Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.